BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On this episode of Storm Stories, epic flooding takes over Music City. As soon as we drove over the bridge, suddenly the Jeep was taken by the water. We get on top of the vehicle and it's not much of a better situation. You are sitting in the middle of this raging river. I thought, this could be it. We both kind of held hands and, and just jumped for it. They're gone. They've been washed away. I can't believe I've just seen two kids die. And a Cat 5 hurricane takes aim at an Air Force base. It was very evident that this was the big one. Trees were snapping. You could hear things hitting the building, and you could just see things flying across the parking lot. The wind took the antenna. When it took the antenna, it took the roof with it. You practice hurricanes, but we were never completely prepared for this. Nashville, Tennessee. Saturday, May 1st, 2010. I've never really seen a storm like that before in my life. As far as consistent, just heavy, heavy rain for that extended of a period, it's not normal. It was rain, 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 and more rain. Rivers that normally span 100 feet across begin to swell to a half mile or more and flood into the city of Nashville. So we're watching this live on a federal interstate. This that is we can't I-24 even... near Bell Road. Yeah, this is Mil 10 miles southeast of downtown near Antioch is the first spot of major flooding. The highway has turned into a raging river. The cars are oh floating and bouncing and look at the... Oh, my goodness. It's, we have to just pray that those people are out of their cars. People were trying to save themselves, their cars. They were trying to drive away. It was surreal. That's a mobile that, home moving down uh, the, mo the interstate. Moving. But it turns out it was a, an actual school, White House Christian Academy. One of their classrooms was that was floating across the uh, interstate. It looked almost like an ark going down through there. It's starting to run into something yeah. that's slowing it, it down. It might ground out. We were all concerned. I didn't know where people in it. Look Between at the mobile that home now, it's sinking. We're going to watch it disintegrate here. Yeah, maybe it's falling Oh, there it goes yeah. right here. Look, look. It's just going to be just peeled come. apart. As the school building collapses, people are relieved to learn that no one was inside. By the end of the day, nearly 10 inches of rain have fallen, and there's no relief overnight. The storm did not move, it stayed. And it stayed, it rained, and it rained. The city was just not prepared for any of that. Sunday morning, 9 a.m. High school senior Jamie Howell is getting ready to leave for church. I remember my mom trying to convince me not to, to go that morning because the weather was so bad. The news, they were saying there's a lot of potential for flash flooding, but you kind of think you're a little bit more invincible when you're that age. Jamie gets in his Jeep and drives to pick up his girlfriend, 19-year-old Andrea Goodrum. 
I had seen the flash flood warnings, but you don't usually take them that seriously. Nothing set off an alarm in me that morning to say, don't go out. We were on the way to church and we had gotten a call and they said church was canceled. And we were trying to get back to my house. That's when we started running into a lot of the roads being closed. All the normal routes that had been flooded, those roads were completely impassable. And even more so, police had started to blockade those roads to prevent people from driving through the, the water. We continued trying to find an alternate route, which eventually led us to that intersection of Saundersville and Lower Station Camp. We had just seen a car come across the other way, so we thought it must be safe enough to go across. As soon as we drove over the bridge, suddenly the Jeep was taken by the water. It was just kind of immediate panic and freak out mode, and you're just kind of along for the ride at that point. Fortunately for us, it pushed us off to the side, and the Jeep got stuck against a guardrail, and that's kind of what kept us from going um, any deeper into the, to the current. As soon as that happened, water immediately started pouring into the Jeep. I just remember thinking, what do we do? Because I've never been in a car that's filling up with water before. I was just so scared. We called emergency services and let them know, hey, our car has been taken off the road. The water is, is coming over top of our car. Can you send somebody out here? We start to freak out a little bit whenever the water's around your ankles and then the water's around your knees you start to realize we're not gonna be able to stay in this car long enough for emergency services to get to us. We knew we were not gonna be able to push the doors open. Fortunately, the window was um, still working and we were able to roll that down and pull ourselves out on, on top of the car. We get on top of the vehicle and then we realize that it's not much of a better situation. I sat with the bike rack in between my legs because the, the water was a really strong current. It was similar to what you would see if you're whitewater rafting, and we were very concerned about the things that were floating past us in the water. Whole entire trees floating by us, lots of just trash, debris. It's just kind of like you are sitting in the middle of this raging river, hoping that it doesn't drift into you. That's a very scary situation. We both prayed a lot while we were up there. Minutes later, first responders arrive on the scene. Photographer Rick Murray is also with the group. There were probably 30, 35 first responders trying desperately to help them, but they didn't have the right rapid water rescue gear. They kept shooting ropes out to them, and the ropes were too short. They would tie a rope around one of the first responders, and it wasn't long enough. I'm watching experienced, trained first responders out there, and they can't do anything. You could just feel the sense of frustration. It was palpable. They never got close to us at all. And so we kind of knew no one was gonna be able to get to us and rescue us. That was certainly a, a very scary moment, realizing that people whose jobs are rescuing people don't really have a, a good idea of how to rescue us from this. I thought this could be it. My phone was no longer working. Her phone was still working. We actually called our parents and let them know we're in a pretty bad situation. We want to call and say that we love you. We didn't know whether that would be the last conversation we, we had with them. You could see the water wearing them down, particularly Jamie. He did everything he could to keep Andrea above the water. And there were times he would go underwater and you'd see him pushing her up. And then it was kind of like something else kicked into me and said, 
no, it's time to do something. It just seemed like this was it. There wasn't anyone that was going to be able to save us, so we knew we were going to have to do something to save ourselves. You know, like, we've got to survive. We talked about it and said, we're going to have to let go and swim. When you're forced with few options, you have to make a, um, an uncomfortable decision. I counted to three, and we let go at the same exact time. We both kind of held hands and, and just jumped for it. It pulled us immediately under. There wasn't a lot of swimming because the current was pretty strong. There's nothing we can grab onto, and we're just being taken by the water. We were both very scared. That was a very horrifying thing to see. They're gone. They've been washed away. I can't believe I've just seen two kids die. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Two teens are clinging for life on top of their car, caught in a raging flood outside Nashville, Tennessee. After 50 minutes, they finally let go. That was a very horrifying thing to see. They're gone. They've been washed away. I can't believe I've just seen two kids die. So we're kind of half swimming, half floating because the current is so strong. We were going through a clearing in the trees and since the water was so high, it was almost like we're going through the tops of the trees. Try to keep our feet downstream so in case we hit anything, it would keep us from injuring major internal parts of our body. We swim through the clearing and at that point, because the water had slowed down a little bit, there was a little embankment that we swam over to and climbed out on. We were able to grab some bushes at the bottom of it and start to kind of pull ourselves out of the water there. I called my mom and let her know, hey, we're alive. Please come get us. No more than 
five or 10 minutes, everybody was showing up there to pick us up and, you know, give us blankets, towels, and hugs, kisses. My dad was, and he's not an emotional guy whatsoever, but he was crying and hugging me and saying, you know, I love you. I was very fortunate to, to really not have any injuries, some bumps, bruises, a couple scratches, but uh, nothing, nothing major at all. Monday, May 3rd, the rain finally stops. The weekend total reaches 13 and a half inches, more than double the previous two-day record. The Cumberland River, which snakes through downtown Nashville, crests at nearly 52 feet, 10 feet above flood stage, and a level not seen since 1937. They were calling it a thousand-year flood. The, the flood waters raised uh, so heavily. They broke every record. It looked like something out of Hollywood. The same streets that people were reveling on a week ago for the NFL draft were underwater. You know, seven or eight, nine feet in some cases. That includes the Grand Ole Opry, the show that made country music famous. Priceless instruments, costumes, audio tapes, and boots are destroyed. Just down the road from the Opry, Pennington Bend resident Bill Krauser watches with his wife and two kids as the water rises up toward their home along the Cumberland River. At that point, we was just gonna ride it out because it's already you know, too late to get out. I never would have dreamed that would have got that high. I was concerned with the safety of my family, and that was the point that I decided to see if I could get the jet ski running just in case we needed to get out of here. Bill begins to test drive the jet ski up and down his driveway. Three blocks away, Leslie Bills and her friend Billy Heldenberg are also trapped by the flood. I kept watching the river come up. The water kept coming and kept coming. And I was freaking at that point, realized that, ooh, you know, this isn't looking real comfortable. I'm in trouble. Suddenly, Leslie and Billy smell smoke. They follow the smoke and discover a fire in the garage. And then we ran back into the house and called 911. 911 was saying, whatever you do, don't get in the water because of the current. And I'm like, how am I going to get away? And that's when you could smell the gas. Turns out a gas line has busted open in Leslie's garage. And so it was, we are going to die. This is a gas explosion and no one can help us. And I'm like, when this house blows up, chances are I'm not going to survive. So am I gonna burn? Am I gonna drown? What a horrible decision to have to make. Billy and I were just kind of in shock and realizing mortality. You start thinking about your mother, your father, your brothers, your families, you know, and just praying and praying and praying. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, there's a jet ski. There's a jet ski. Here comes my angel on a jet ski. As I was driving down the road, testing it to make sure, you know, it's operable, okay, that's when Leslie and Billy there was flagging me down. And I'm waving and waving. Billy is yelling, over here, over here. We need help, we need help. And I said, sir, sir, please, can you look and see how bad the house is burning in the back? 
the entire garage was completely engulfed in flames. As soon as I seen that, I said, we need to get on here now and leave. So at that point in time, I jump on behind Bill, and then Billy Heldenberg gets on the jet ski. I'd hit the button to start it, and it would not start, and just kept cranking on it, cranking on it. I'm just praying that the thing will start. The nose of the jet ski goes up, and we weren't going anywhere. So we're kind of free-floating at that point. And then the inevitable. Kaboom! The whole house blew. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Outside Nashville, Tennessee, Bill Krauser is attempting to jet ski two friends from a flooded home that's also on fire. I'd hit the button to start it, and it would not start, and just kept cranking on it, cranking on it. I'm just praying that the thing will start. The nose of the jet ski goes up, and we weren't going anywhere. So we're kind of free-floating at that point. It finally, finally started, luckily. And I gave it all it had on the throttle. We got just across the road. Kaboom! The whole house blew. When it blew, it threw us all forward. We couldn't breathe. It was such a black, dark smoke with such vibrant orange flames. I did not turn around. I just uh, concentrated on getting out of there. And we're all just like, what just happened? I'm so thankful he came. And I owe my life to him. If it weren't for Bill, I wouldn't be here. What a wonderful person. And willing to put his own life for us. I'm no hero or angel. I was just in the right place at the right time. Anybody who would have ran across and would have done the exact same thing. Eight miles away, Nashville Music Institution Soundcheck, where many country stars rehearse and store their gear, is another victim of the flood. It was very unexpected, and it also came so fast, there was no time to take any equipment out. It's two days before Soundcheck president Ben Jumper can even get to his building. I was actually at the facility in a bass boat. The water was over halfway up the front door. Once the water did recede and we were allowed to, to come to the building to see what the damage was, it, it was, it was like um, the apocalypse. The smells of the river, the fuel, the pollution. We opened up road cases that had fish in them. Everything that was stored three and a half feet and down to the floor was basically gone. I lost millions. I wasn't injured for such a catastrophe. It was a nightmare. It was just, what do we do, what do we do? The flood kills 31 people, 
11 in Nashville alone. Nearly 11,000 properties are damaged or destroyed. 10,000 people are displaced from their homes. The flood causes more than $2 billion in damages. But the music goes on in Nashville. Within days, major country stars band together to host several flood relief concerts, raising millions. All the big stars in Nashville came together. Garth did nine shows here, donated every penny that was generated to flood victims. The music community came together to help each other, but it was the whole community. Ben Jumper immediately vows to rebuild Soundcheck. It took years to get it back, but today we're bigger, badder, newer, stronger than we ever were. Wow. We're very fortunate. I can say that God helped us get through this. He didn't just help me, he helped a lot of people. Leslie Bills also rebuilds her life. I chose to rebuild the home to make it look like a church because it's an act of God to be here. I don't take things for granted anymore. I take every bit of it and every moment matters. Jamie Howell and Andrea Goodrum are no longer together, but they will forever share a special connection due to their near-death experience at that faithful intersection. His mom always sends me a text just saying, you know, that she loves me or that she's thankful that we survived. It's definitely a big part of what has shaped me to be who I am. Once you realize how fragile life is, it really makes you that much more appreciative of the life that you have and the people that you love. I'm very thankful to God for those different things that have lined up to work in our favor to allow us to essentially save ourselves. Rick Murray's photo of the teen's brush with death earned him publicity after the disaster. But a picture taken two weeks later means much more to him. You see two lines of people trying to clean off a bridge. In that image, you see old, young, male, female, black, white. You see community, people doing things that they did not have to do, but they were doing it out of love out of compassion for their neighbors. Tennessee is the volunteer state. People came out of the woodwork. They came every which direction to help every one of us. We had so many volunteers that we had to turn folks away because we were bumping into each other. I didn't know people could pull together like that. And I saw the good that people have in them. That's it. That's the story. Coming up, an Air Force base is under siege from a Cat 5 hurricane. When the hurricane actually hit, there were sounds coming out of that building that I didn't expect to hear. I immediately thought, can I get out of here? It was very evident, very quickly, that this was the big one. Panama City, Florida. 100 miles west of Tallahassee on the Panhandle, home to 37,000 residents, as well as Tyndall Air Force Base. 
Tyndall Air Force Base sits on a 29,000-acre peninsula here in Northwest Florida. Surrounding Tyndall Air Force Base is some of the finest training airspace anywhere in the world. There's a lot going on here. It's busy. You hear this, these jets flying every day, and you know it's freedom flying. Friday, October 5th, 2018. Colonel Brian Laidlaw holds a staff meeting heading into the long Columbus Day weekend. The weather forecast for Panama City and our base over the weekend was gonna be beautiful. There was a small collection of thunderstorms off the coast of Cancun at the time, but nothing really to be concerned about. So have a great three-day weekend. We'll see everybody on Tuesday. Where that started to change was on Sunday. There were a couple of models that were forecasting that Tyndall could be hit by up to tropical storm force winds, but no more than a tropical storm. I recalled our crisis action team to, let's just take a look. Let's look at the storm and make sure that we're prepared. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Camille Chiggy is part of the crisis action team, or CAT. Our job is to mitigate suffering and save lives by bringing relief to the American people but she's currently on health leave. I was unable to participate in the CAT because I was about eight months pregnant and I was effectively a single mom because my husband was in the hospital. He had been complaining about uh, stomach pain and we heard a sound. And when I heard that sound, it was almost like he crumpled into himself. Like if you had pulled the bones out of his body and his, he just collapsed. We heard something really literally pop explode in my stomach. And uh, it was a pain like I'd never felt before. It basically dropped me to the floor. Uh, and we knew something was, was really, really wrong. I rushed him to the closest emergency room. They did their initial intake. And the result was that he had a ruptured intestine. They immediately put me on antibiotics and pain medicine. They hooked me up to an IV pole. Never before had been through something like that. As we're in the hospital, let's turn on the news and I see this tropical depression. So right now it's in the uh, Western Caribbean, about 50 miles uh, west of the tip of Cuba there. But and I'm like, okay, well, that's no big deal. Tropical depression's a dime a dozen. Oftentimes they pitter out east and they roll out to sea and they become nothing. I have a wife who's eight months pregnant. I've got a teenage daughter. I've got a two-year-old son, but this one didn't worry me. I thought, oh, it's a tropical depression. We made some jokes about it. And uh, I just kind of settled into the hospital. All right, we do have some breaking weather news with our latest advisory in. We now have a Category 2 hurricane. Winds 100 miles per hour. Hurricane warnings are not just up for the coast, obviously the entire Florida panhandle. We woke up in the morning and that tropical depression had become a Cat 2 hurricane. And there's a big difference between a, a tropical depression and a Cat 2. And there's no reason to believe, given the water temperatures, given the atmospherics where this thing is right now, that it's not going to continue to strengthen. I sped into the hospital and I asked the nurse, what is your building rated to, hurricane-wise? She said, well, I think our hospital is rated to a Cat 2. And I was comfortable with that. I didn't really have a choice because he was too sick to really go anywhere. So we said our goodbyes and I was like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Back at Tyndall, Colonel Laidlaw receives some troubling news. Throughout the morning, the predicted storm track uh, put a bullseye right on top of Tyndall. So we were expecting to take a big hit. So what you do is you look at the storm, you look at how wide it's gonna be, how long we think it's going to impact the base. My wife called me and said, hey, do you know a hurricane's coming? Within five minutes of her calling me, my supervision called me. It's all hands on deck at the base. Laidlaw's most pressing concern 
his fleet of F-22 fighter jets, each one worth $150 million. Protecting the F-22s was a significant priority of ours. We elected at that point in time to evacuate all the aircraft. We uh, launched approximately half the fleet out. There was a flurry of activity on the flight line. Our F-22s have been dispersed to three different bases around the country. 17 jets are not airworthy and will have to remain in hangars. Anytime you have a fleet of aircraft, some of them are in very deep maintenance. You might have engines pulled out. You might have them taken apart to get various components fixed. It's a constant balance between fixing airplanes and flying airplanes. The jets aren't the only assets being evacuated. We put our mandatory evacuation in place at 5 o'clock on Monday evening. It applied to all people assigned to Tyndall Air Force Base and their families. That's approximately 11,000 people. Anytime you evacuate a base or 11,000 people, it's a significant movement. People were vacating their homes and base housing. People were running through their hurricane condition checklist. I've been in the Air Force for 22 years, and I've never been told to evacuate. That's very serious. It's very serious. When the Air Force says mandatory evacuation, it's mandatory. I thought, I need to start thinking about getting my family out of here, but I'm also thinking about my husband, who's in the hospital, because quite frankly, I wasn't sure what was coming. Overnight, Michael explodes into a Category 4 hurricane. In a span of six hours, its winds increase to more than 140 miles per hour. It is a Category 4 and could even get stronger as it continues to make its way toward the Florida Panhandle. I am very well aware of the differences between a Cat 2 and a Cat 4 and how dangerous a Cat 4 hurricane is. Hurricane Michael could be one of the worst hurricanes to ever strike the Big Bend and Panhandle region of Florida. This is going to be breaking so many records. I knew that the building was probably not prepared for a Cat 4 plus storm. Brian relayed to me over the phone that they sealed off the hospital. I started to get concerned about my own safety. I immediately thought, can I get out of here? I had this thought, let me go to the hospital and get him. Let me take him with us. But the pain and the severity of the rupture convinced me that I need to stay there. If there's an infection that's creeping through your stomach, you're gonna be no good to your family on the road. While I didn't want to leave him, I didn't know if I could care for him in the car. As far as his wounds, his stitches, his the infection, the medication, of the impossible decision to make, leaving him in the path of a Category 4 storm was the only decision I could make. The hardest moment for me as a, as a mom and a wife was that moment when the car was packed. I basically looked at my kids in the car and thought, I can either go see my husband in the hospital or I can get the kids out in time. And there, there wasn't time for both. I just wanted to really just rip the IV out and go home to him and help, but I couldn't because I was in so much pain. It felt pretty bleak. Camille drives north into Alabama with the kids to ride out the storm at a hotel 100 miles away. While back at Tyndall. Base housing was cleared, flight line was secure, and we were in a position where we were ready to lock down the gates. And all that was left was the 93 people remaining for the rideout element. The rideout team uh, are the people who stay behind 
on the base to quite literally ride out the storm. You had to still keep security at the base. We still had to have ambulance response on the base. When they activated the rideout team, we went to a rideout building, and we've had you know, tropical storms and hurricanes in the Gulf before since I've been stationed here. So you thought it was just gonna be another exercise that was taken to the extreme. Wednesday, October 10th. Hurricane Michael strikes Panama City and nearby Mexico Beach with a vengeance. Michael is even stronger than predicted. It's become a category five storm the highest classification with 160 mile per hour winds and a 14 foot storm surge. Nothing and no one in its path is safe. When the hurricane was hitting, there were sounds coming out of that building that I didn't expect to hear. October 10th, 2018, Hurricane Michael is only the fourth Cat 5 storm to ever hit the United States and the first to strike the Florida Panhandle. Hurricane Michael happened so fast and it was nothing but a tropical depression until it wasn't. This is the strongest wind by far, the strongest consistent wind that we have seen. The Florida Gulf Coast is under siege. Tyndall Air Force Base in Panama City where 93 airmen are riding out the storm is being hit with the worst of the eye wall. When the hurricane was hitting, every computer in the building is showing 165 miles per hour winds. There were sounds coming out of that building that I didn't expect to hear. There was uh, no doubt in our minds when the worst of the storm was hitting. You could hear the wind gusts, the walls would shake. On the second floor, there was a small window. When we looked out, when there was so much water, so much rain downpour, trees were snapping. You could hear them breaking. A lot of debris everywhere. And you could just see things flying across the parking lot. You could hear huge things hitting the building. The wind took the antenna. When it took the antenna, it took the roof with it. So we heard the ripping noise of the roof peeling off the top, and then we saw the water starting to uh, come in through the concrete subroof that we had. As the water started pouring in, they had to scramble and, and relocate us in the building to keep us safe. There was some anxiety. It felt like forever being in the building. At that point, I knew it, it was serious. You could hear the panic a little bit because people were starting to get concerned. You practice hurricanes, we have exercises, and you prepare for this, but we were never pre completely prepared for this. 10 miles away, retired Marine Brian Joy rides out the hurricane at Gulf Coast Regional Medical Center, where he's recovering from a ruptured intestine. His wife, Camille, who's eight months pregnant, has evacuated with their kids, but it wasn't safe for Brian to travel in his condition. When the first wall of the hurricane hit the hospital, it got chaotic pretty quickly. Nurses started to seem more and more uh, anxious. I started to realize I could have a problem being stuck here. You can see the windows starting to buckle. The electricity started to go out. 
and then the windows blow out. They had brought in folks from a hospice community and folks are just laying next to windows and those people can't move themselves. There were very few EMTs, uh, first responders in there. I mean, they're the heroes. They're the ones that had been there for 24, 48 hours working on limited supplies. But it became pretty apparent that um, there needed to be some kind of plan uh, of help. I just jumped up and, and helped with the nurses. I just tried to move people away from windows and out of, out of rooms that looked unsafe. He's moving people and gurneys and hospital beds and wheelchairs. And at some point, his IV falls out. And his IV was his pain medicine and his antibiotics. There were people that were really hurting. So it's, you know, just help somebody else, right? People were, were definitely panicking, lining the halls all the way through the nurses' stations. There were people walking around stunned. There were people bleeding. People were crying, kids by themselves. And it was a very difficult situation. Then, finally, a moment of relief. The eye of the hurricane passes over Tyndall Air Force Base. We knew we were in the eye when the walls stopped shaking and the winds stopped howling. As the eye passed over, it was foggy, but yet the sun was shining bright. There was really no wind other than a little breeze, but it was completely calm. We had about 20 minutes in the eye. It was very clear when the back portion of the eye wall was coming towards us. You could hear the devastation, the wind coming for the other side of the hurricane. A hundred miles away, Brian's wife, Camille, glued to news coverage of the hurricane, makes repeated attempts to call Brian. But cell service is down. And I remember thinking my husband's in the middle of it, and he's very sick, and I can't reach him. Camille wouldn't receive another call until the following morning. I didn't recognize the number. I didn't have a caller ID. And they said, this is Chaplain so-and-so calling from uh, Gulf Coast Regional Medical Center. When he said, I'm a chaplain, I fell apart. For the last 24 hours, Hurricane Michael has been unleashing its fearsome power onto the Florida panhandle, including Panama City. Tyndall Air Force Base Lieutenant Colonel Camille Chigi, eight months pregnant, is able to evacuate. But her husband Brian is forced to ride out the storm at a local hospital with a ruptured intestine. It's now been more than 12 hours since Camille has had any contact with Brian. I was very scared. I hadn't heard from him all through the night because the cell phone towers went down. My phone rang and I didn't recognize the number. I didn't have a caller ID. I said, hello. And they said, this is Chaplain so-and-so calling from uh, Gulf Coast Regional Medical Center. When he said, I'm a chaplain, I fell apart. In my line of work, when the chaplain calls, usually it's a fatality. And the chaplain said, I'm calling on behalf of Brian. And they said, your husband's fine. And we're putting him on a helicopter and we're moving him. I started crying, happy tears. Camille receives a second call a few minutes later. Brian was able to call me from somebody else's cell phone. He said, I'm getting on a helicopter and I think it's going to Pensacola. The first time I heard my wife's voice is, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Gulf Coast Regional Medical Center has suffered severe roof and window damage and is running on backup generator power. Brian is being evacuated to a hospital 100 miles away 
in Pensacola. As we were life flighted out of the hospital, the destruction was almost overwhelming. It looked like a bomb had gone off. Homes leveled, businesses dropped, giant buildings had been crumbled. I've been through six other hurricanes. The destruction Hurricane Michael leveled on this city is something I never thought I'd see in my life. At least 49 people are confirmed dead as a result of Hurricane Michael. At nearby Tyndall Air Force Base, it's finally safe for the rideout team to emerge. I rode out one of the biggest hurricanes that's ever hit the United States. The airmen are anxious to survey the damage. We were all eager to go outside and see our base. When we walked out, it was a calm, eerie feeling. Most of the time, it doesn't quite get to worst case scenario, but it was very evident very quickly that this was the big one. Damage to the base was catastrophic. Roofs got ripped off, buildings caved in. Some buildings were completely gone. There was boats flipped over, vehicles flipped. There were power lines down everywhere. Every significant tree had snapped. There was debris everywhere. It was just completely devastating. There was nothing not damaged. Everywhere you look, chaos. The realization set in things would be changed forever. Almost every one of the 700 structures on the base is damaged including many of those remaining F-22 fighters, with a replacement value of about $2.5 billion. This was absolutely uh, a tragedy to be hit by a storm of this magnitude that did this type of damage. This is going to be a long road to recovery. But one thing is left unharmed. All personnel assigned to Tyndall are accounted for and safe. Because Colonel Laidlaw made the decision early enough, and he gave the evacuation order early enough, we didn't have a single fatality. Can you imagine if that storm had hit 11,000 people and all those children and all those homes, if that order hadn't been given? Lives would have been lost if he hadn't have made that call to evacuate this base. Tyndall is destroyed, but its spirit is not. Work begins immediately to restore the base. After Hurricane Michael, it was very important to get things back in order, to get normalcy. Everybody was eager to start clearing roads, picking up debris. By the end of that day, we already could access the other side of base. We could get through the gates. We could drive the roads. And that became the battle rhythm. We're going to take this one day at a time. 48 repair projects affecting 144 different base facilities are soon underway. Every day. Everybody talks about how proud they are to be a part of the rebuild, to be a part of this family that we call Tyndall Air Force Base. If there is a silver lining, it's that there is an opportunity to rebuild not the base that we had, but to rebuild the base of the future, because our nation depends on this base. Today, we have a fully operational airfield, our air operations center that provides homeland defense for the continental United States. They are fully operational. And those damaged F-22s are now back in the sky. Airmen are a resilient bunch. Watching the way that we all came together with a very singular focus to be there for each other, to help each other out, 
These are good American people. And as bad as this storm was, it really brought out the best in people. Our job is to get the mission done, and we will continue to get the mission done. President Trump and Vice President Pence visit the base in May 2019. To say to all the men of the 325th and all the families of this region affected by this place, we will rebuild Tyndall Air Force Base. Lieutenant Colonel Camille Chigi and her husband Brian, now fully recovered, lost their home in the storm. While they rebuild, they found hope in a new mission they have on their hands. A month after the hurricane, Camille gives birth to a healthy baby girl, Elizabeth. When I look at my family and I think about what we've been through, um, I just appreciate their faith and their resiliency, and I appreciate our health. Even though I love my family intensely before the storm, boy, don't I love them and hug them a little more now. Hurricane Michael was such a traumatic and devastating thing for my family, but it's all about what you do with it. And at the end of the day, what we did with it was we found something beautiful.